You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome back to part two of our look at Doctor Who Flux. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And we're back to pick up our conversation right where we left off. So let's pick up our conversation right where we left off. <laughs> of course, you know, the question is, how is, do you destroy the universe? How does that actually play out in a story which involves time travel? Because obviously the doctor can go back a thousand years and the rest of the universe is there. So. But that was the same with the time war. Exactly the same problem with the time war, which is why you got into this whole you know time lock yeah nonsense and it's it's a it's a problem at first and then you repeat time lock enough times and then you stop thinking about it and you just appreciate the stories that you can tell within that context and i had a i i have been thinking about this because i think in some ways the things that that chibnall has done within these stories not just flux it's the it's the timeless children which i I certainly was not keen on when I first heard it. And now I'm starting to get more interested in the stories that you can tell. I had a similar reaction to the Time War and wiping out all of the Time Lords and this whole lonely doctor thing, because I was like, I was quite attached to for the, all their kind of being incredibly boring, actually, the whole Time Lord backstory and the possibility that we might run into them in some future stories. But I, I, I equally then found that when, when Moffat started to set things up to revisit that with the the war doctor and so forth, having a war doctor, that was just, that was totally unacceptable. And now with all of the kind of John Hurt audios and, and the day of the doctor and all of that, I'm totally sold on the concept. It, it, it really adds a lot to the kind of bigger uh, mythos and history of the show. And so I, I don't, I'm not necessarily implacably opposed to the idea that you can't make these kind of tectonic shifts in the platform that you're using for your stories. And I, I'm not too bothered about Doctor Who going dark for a while. So if Chibnall was still around, I would personally prefer there not to be a reset. I do not like resets myself. I, I'm, I'm thinking that we're, you know, what we have here is probably akin to. Uh, e-space a periodic section of time where we're operating in a universe that's not quite the same i know this is that's the wrong analogy considering that this is a story about interdimensional operations but in other words the doctor can kick around the the post-flux universe for a while before coming to the end sacrificing the life and bringing uh, bringing the universe back which is almost certainly, you know, from some sort of sacrifice that will need to be made to to do that. What what do you got? What what, what do you want to look at? I, I I might hit a few character points later, but uh... I I I I mean just to kind of roll back a little bit. I because I'm disagreeing on the on the fact that I I think the the story overall did an incredibly effective job of showing the actual consequences of of the flux. It didn't do, and I, th- I think you made this point, it didn't do necessarily a great job in showing the consequences in the final episode. So again, problems for me were in those particular episodes and the death of Jericho. This, the death scene is excellent. I mean, really, really a great kind of valedictory scene for what I think had been one of my favourite characters in this series and there were a lot of i thought really good characters in this series but if i'd had to have a, a choice in the i know it started saying i want carvinista to be the doctor's companion but now it turns out that he was the doctor's companion and actually i want jericho to travel with the doctor instead of dan for sure he's great but he does get a top-notch death scene you put your finger on it absolutely when you say that there is not enough weight to the fact that Yaz and Dan and Jericho have been quite close for 
what do we what do we think years. three four years four years I mean, at least yeah it's at least four About years three, yeah. and the impact that has on them is just it is underplayed because as you say dan is dan is much closer well dan would be much closer to the point was you you were making is much closer to jericho than the doctor he's also much closer to yaz than the doctor mm-hmm. um so he's really you know he's now yes he had a trip in the tardis before he spent the, the you know these years with yaz but he's now really yaz's friend rather than the the doctor's companion and he will be for quite some time it'll, you know it'll take a a bit of journeying in the TARDIS for those dynamics to even up. I don't think there's any evidence that we're seeing that on screen. Mm-mm. And I, I, I have found the whole, the way in which Dan is portrayed. It's another of those slightly problematic things. His reactions have all felt like they are slightly off. It's felt like he takes things in his stride slightly too much. He bounces back too quickly. And this is just mm-hmm. another example of that. And it's <laughs> in been so detail. We have we have commented on the fact. Well, I think it is particularly around Dan, and we have commented on the fact that that feels like it should. It it it's so marked that you that you question whether there is an intention behind it. Not necessarily that it's marked enough for you to be sure there's an intention behind it, but it now looks like there isn't. I mean, you know, same caveat applies. We've still got three episodes. We don't know, but that's my guess now. You know, that's actually funny because uh, I went through, (laughs) that is very interesting. I went through and wrote down all the characters Mm -hmm. that I could think of. And I then went to each character and I put down some thoughts about what the heck was going on there or what I felt. And I realized just as we were going into this, that I had completely forgotten the doctor <laughs> who was pretty much inconsequential throughout this entire story. <laughs> and I just now realized I forgot Dan. And, uh, cause in a way, in a way I, I, I'd sort of, I kind of be, I'd be treating the doctor and Yaz and Kate in a slightly different category because they're, they're the kind of known characters, whereas everyone else is new within the story. But, I mean, that's not to say they should be ignored. Of course, there is a. I got. I got. Yes. Question: in What here. their their development is. I got. Yes. So go on then. T- 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 well, yeah. T- tell us about Yes then. What 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 did you think this was for her? Uh, I think this was a very problematic situation that is very creepy. So I mean, ever since RTD brought the show back, the hint of romance between the Doctor and a companion has been a reality, and mm-hmm. it was very obvious throughout this but i mean it was especially obvious in the final scenes and i think that and there's a problem here because of the of saying this is more problematic than the others because uh, it's a same sex sort of uh situation but that is not it what it is is the power dynamic between the two of them that's the right phrase for it yes oh. idolizes the doctor Yaz is a doctor groupie. Yaz worships the doctor. Look at what would the doctor do written on her hand. I don't know if that's a thing that shows up in Britain, but, you know, WWJD is all over the place here. What would Jesus do? That's that's what that is, right? Yaz so is a So do you groupie. think this is, this, this is different from the, the Martha right. doctor thing? I do think it's a bit different from the Martha doctor thing because I think the doctor was, yes, the doctor definitely had, or Martha definitely had a thing for the doctor. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, it is totally one-sided. It was totally one-sided. If the, if the doctor even noticed it, he quickly dismissed it because he was still smarting about Rose. That was the whole point of that story. It was, it was that Martha stopped pining for the damaged guy kind of thing. Yeah. This doesn't feel that way. This doesn't have that loss or that, that th- this is, and Yaz is a lot. And it, there's a no, difference like between, Rose. there's a difference between having the hots for the doctor and worshiping the doctor. This, this feels more like a cult kind of thing. And I, I don't know. It just doesn't, I, I 
think it's ill-conceived because of the way it's portrayed. Not what they're portraying, but the way they've set Yaz up. I think they've, I mean, she is a person who went to be a police officer. She took a career to help people. She throws that away to join the doctor. And that's the one person we've seen that we know she basically quit being police because eh, work, you know, they, they kind of want you to show up. Okay. I get that. But she has, she has, she's following, she's a roadie. She's following the doctor around. Uh, and, and this three-year obsession to do a completely pointless task that the doctor gave her. You know, if, if you think about it, the doctor says, you know, uh, the universe is, there's probably mm. some smart people out there that'll know when the end of the universe is. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's happened, but we're separated. So find those people. Well, the doctor couldn't have known you were on 1901 Earth. And really, do you really think you're going to find somebody on 1901 Earth that's going to know about, eh, no. I, <laughs> I don't think it's, um, I mean, I think it, I think I think the the parallels to the year of Martha Jones are actually quite strong. I don't think it's that different from that relationship. But Martha Jones at least had a a task that there was something a, a explicitly messianical yes. about the way the Doctor was portrayed in the yes. in those episodes, and Martha was Martha was not fomenting just with that the the disciple of the Doctor. She was yeah, she was actually a kind of evangelical preacher for him so but did she believe it she was besotted was by she, him yeah totally she was bes- she was I, I don't know partially of course we don't see much of martha's year but a little bit but yeah. and it went oh. somewhere it actually accomplished something as well but no i, I don't know it just doesn't yes doesn't feel martha figured it out in the year apart you know she she figured out what was what was what well i i yeah i mean i i think this story is leading to there being a figuring out but i don't think we were going to get that in this because well we would we would have got it in this if you'd been right and this was yaz's last episode but it's not so i think that's that's still going to be resolved in some way i mean it's interesting because for me the problematic side of that i mean i do i do feel that yaz has been underdeveloped i think that chibnall is he he does write really good interesting characters and the first series saw him actually develop them in quite satisfying ways and then i think that they it felt to me like they were coasting in the second series and i like yaz a lot i'm not quite sure it's recovered from that kind of coasting but it's it's an improvement and the problem here for me was that the doctor has in order in order to kind of give Yaz something well I don't know if it's in order for this but it Yaz Yaz has something to react against because the doctor shuts her out and this is big and very explicit and I've you know complained in other respects about not being not you know not signaling things clearly enough well this was pretty strongly signaled the doctor is shutting Yaz out at the beginning and at the end she is letting Yaz in and so the doctor has been on a journey so okay why is that a problem Simon well problem is that I have no idea why the doctor was shutting Yaz out in the first place (laughs) it's not explored at all she's just doing it and it's like oh okay well that's that's gonna drive the plot for a bit and then equally the problem is at the end I have no idea what 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 was the thing that I mean, there's been so much rushing around and obviously there are umpteen things that could have caused the doctor to go, you know, oh, my God, what have I done to Yaz? The, you know, the fact that as a result of my secrecy and my my actions, Jericho got fried by the flux and now yet now Yaz is distraught. But, you know, that might be something that but I have no idea. I have no idea why the doctor suddenly becomes very contrite about having treated Yaz very poorly in that respect and i mean obviously she's doing the right thing but dramatically i want to know why yeah i mean every every darn dc superhero show that they have on the the cw which is a network over here that puts together the arrow and the flash and all those um the 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 biggest thing about them is that none of the plots would get driven if one person didn't keep a secret from another person (laughs) it happens all 
the stinking time and you're just shouting at them. Just tell them why are you keeping that a secret? It's like, but I don't mind people. And, and it doesn't. If there's a reason. It's if there's a reason, but there's never a reason. That's the point. There's never a good reason. It's always just like, I'm I'm just that kind of person. I'm just going to keep this to myself. And it's like, no, that's but the even person that you should true. tell. And that's exactly what this should happen here. The doctor found out that she has amnesia. That's an easy metaphor to give to to Yaz, who doesn't know. For all we know, knows nothing about regenerations or other past lives, and. She she says, I found out that I may be missing some years of my life, my memories. And Carvanista or this people, I want to track that down. That's all that needed to be said. Well, absolutely. And I it, but it, I don't necessarily have a problem with her even keeping that secret. It's it's not. I'm taking you into why, danger. Why and I'm not going to she... tell you. Yes, but but that's okay. People do people do stupid things. People do things that are wrong. That that that's dramatically interesting, and I'm there for that. But I need to know why they're doing it, and so I need to know: is the motivation is is the doctor? You know, is it because what is it? Is it is is she is, is she is she is she scared that there is some part of her that she sh- is or should feel ashamed of? Is it that she, she it, it undermines her confidence because she, you know, she's, I, I don't know. The, right. It's like the, the, what, from what we know of the doc, because the doctor is a kind of ever, ever changing, ever evolving personality anyway. We need, we need a little bit of character work with this doctor to explain how we, how we expect her to react to a revelation like that. We can't all, project how we would react in that situation because we would all react differently and it's like you're almost certainly thinking yes i would react in a sane and rational way and i would explain to people that you know this is what's going on so we need to know why the doctor isn't doing that you need to know why the doctor isn't doing that what is it about her personality that means that she has to keep secrets from Yaz, even when that harms Yaz, even when that harms herself. There, there has to be a reason right. for it. And and none is in evidence, and there has been absolutely nothing to make that even, even slightly understood. It's just a thing the doctor has done to drive the quote-unquote drama of the situation. And I, it's, it's all handled so badly. It's all been handled so badly. And it, it just doesn't. And, and 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 let me, you know, if we want to say characters don't have logical plots, let's look at Carvanista for a second. I don't think I managed to get to all this. The the very start of the flux, as in the flux, the the series, the Doctor has gone looking for Carvanista because he's found out Carvanista was a division agent. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Carvanista tries to kill the Doctor, mm-hmm. and yes, somebody doesn't even know. Carvanista tries to pretend to be he, he, he phrases his monologue about now i'm off to the final layer of the planet earth like i'm off to destroy the planet how how hmm, how, why <clears throat> but he's a completely sympathetic character by the end of the end of the show and it's not because he's gone well, through growth <laughs> it's not through because he's gone through growth it's because the writer just keeps slipping out little bits and suddenly he starts behaving differently and you know, he, he kidnaps Dan. Uh, he gets there early for no logical reason except some tiny thing he happened that got him there first, which, you know, I'm, could tie I'm into the whole that. thing of Die getting kidnapped. Because I think Die's kidnap must somehow tie to Dan. That, I think those two things have to be there. Again, it could be just inconsequentially bad writing. Like, how do we, why does he get here first? I don't know. Give him a time boost. Okay. Whatever. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's fine. It, it, it could be. It could be that. But he gets there first. He's mean to Dan. He's he's violent to him. He's uh, locks him in a cage. I mean, he's ostensibly there to rescue him. But whatever. then he then he turns out he was the doctor's companion. And then and then we get oh well I can't tell you about that because I've got this thing in my brain. It'll kill me instantly if I tell you anything about it. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll just drop the subject. Not. Hey, let me see if the sonic screwdriver can fix that for you. Let me get a let me get a medical scan and see if that's really true. Uh, nothing. Just just 
I my my take on Carbonista is not that at all. I mean, I I I thought that he was written pretty consistently, but I felt that again it was partly to do with I think the problematic structure and editing of episode one was we didn't we didn't it was very difficult for us to get a handle on who he was because do, we do you think getting, murdering the doctor fit yeah totally with our later revelations yeah ex companion of the doctor I'm just gonna kill her yeah because all because all the way through he's quite um he's quite kind of uh violent he's quite what 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 you know what's the word he's quick he's quick to anger he's he's got a he's got a temper on him and he's incredibly incredibly angry with having been uh rejected and abandoned by the doctor so there she is she turns up yeah no i think that totally fits with with what we're told about him seems murder might be over the line but okay I, i'm i th- i th- he's, he's a pretty violent guy i i think i mean that's what's quite interesting about him he's like Leela plus but wouldn't he i don't know again he knows the doctor he he does know the doctor he's obviously been the doctor's companion well he says as much why that doesn't kill him i don't know but all right um and he must know that things will be better if he had the doctor help out with the flux rather than kill the doctor right at the moment the universe is about to be destroyed because obviously they knew that the Lupari knew because they'd spent their millions and millions and millions of whatever they use, dog biscuits or dog euros or whatever it is to build their 7 billion spacecraft to fly to the earth, to rescue 7 billion people individually, I, you know, uh, uh, but, and, and do you, do you not think it's a plot hole that the earth didn't notice that they were encompassed in the Lupari shield for six weeks? Cause they were um, not three I, minutes. Well, we did. We don't get to see what effect the looper is. It visible? I mean, what effect does that have? Well, it's it. You, when we see it, it's obviously visible, and it's supposedly surrounding the yeah, earth. Light so that means no it. sunlight. No, it didn't. Yeah, but we we do see sunlight. So sunlight can obviously on the earth. Light. We see yeah. sunlight when we see yeah. the Lupari shield. No, it's not transparent. So, but how 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 is the, how is the earth sunlit if it if the if it's not possible for light to, to pass through it? It, well, I think how, the answer how would it, is how would it, how would it add writing. That's well, my no, point. No, 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 Continuity no. error. Well, that's a rather circular argument. Let let me let me rephrase that. Isn't yours if, head cannon? The ships must be transparent. Isn't that just I'm I'm making that up too? Because it's not in evidence in the show. Let well let me uh, let me ask. Uh, no, I mean I think I think I've made certain assumptions about it. But but you're suggesting you should be able to see the Lupari ships from Earth. I think actually, and, I think you should not be able to see anything from Earth because there's no light. Well, but no, but there is, is no sunlight. Is, there is in. light. There is light. So if the if the light is getting in, how is it you would be able to see the ships? That's that's what I'm getting at. I I I agree that if we had in any way established that the Lupari ships weren't opaque, well, we they we're seeing we're seeing sunlight. Is that does that not establish it? No. The only okay. time we ever so see the Lupari the ships. Again, it's you either headcanon that they must be transparent when we literally see they are not transparent. Every time we see the Lupari ships, they are not transparent. Light is not passing through. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. What I'm saying is, if you're on the the surface of the Earth and there is sunlight mm -hmm. reaching the surface of the Earth, if you're in that position, because we, I don't know whether we see them from that position, because there must be shots of the sky. And yeah, kind of. We see the blue sky in places. Yeah, so doesn't that mean you can't see them from Earth? Well, that's the circular logic. I mean, they're both circular logic. We are presented with two things. We are presented with a shield that you cannot see through. We we see that. Well, but hang on, we we we. You're specifically talking about what's visible from the surface of the planet, aren't you? I'm. Can you see through them from the surface of the planet? Wasn't that the original question? And the answer to that is, if we have any shots. They aren't visible in it. So, yes. So, <laughs> unless it's a mistake. Well, that wouldn't be a mistake. How would that be a mistake? It, it would be a mistake because it's sloppy. That, that's what, my point. But, what, it, no, I sorry. Explain what the mistake is. Okay. Here, here is, ignore what you can see from Earth. Ignore that for a second. I thought that, we I see, thought we that see the, the loop. No, no. 
Okay. No, I've misunderstood. No. Ignore that first. Let's establish our facts. Our facts are that we see the shield. We, the audience, see the shield in space. It is not translucent. It is opaque. We see that. We see it when it surrounds the Earth. We see it when it is blocking out the Centaurans and view of the Flux because they can't see it and or the Daleks and the Cybermen. And then they open it up. They break it apart and you can see the flux. The Lupari shield does not let you see through it, does not let light pass through it. We see that. They then wrap it around the earth and somehow earth still has light. Now you are assuming that must mean you can pass light through the shield. And I am assuming that it is just poor storytelling. Neither is in evidence in the script because they are, they conflict with each other. The shield is both opaque and it is apparently transparent and no reconciliation is given really to those two errors. It's, I, I don't know how to make it any more black and white than that. We, we can see the shield can't be seen through and yet but we, but there's we light on the earth. We can't see it can be, it can't be seen through from the surface of the planet. And isn't that the, isn't that what Are you're you saying? It's about? only transparent one way. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, that if if light can pass through it so that light reaches the surface of the planet, how would you be able to see it from the surface of the planet? You wouldn't be able to see the shield from the surface of the planet if it were transparent. Right. I agree with that. But what well, I'm no, saying I'm, is I'm it's saying not it's... transparent. <laughs> it's like you couldn't see anything because there would be no light getting to the Earth. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying every scene we see during the period from Halloween to December 5th where there is light on the earth is a oversight on behalf of the people making it. It's it's just something they've just not bothered to think about. Except it's weird because they did say there was a three-minute eclipse when the shield formed. But no. again, that that's it. I thought, well, I may, I may have that wrong. I, I thought the three-minute, oh no, maybe you, no. I was thinking the three-minute eclipse was the Sontarans, but no, actually, that was the Lupari, wasn't it? It must have. Been. Well, they both happened at the same time. Just as the Lupari shield closed, the Sontarans arrived. Yeah. Ah, yeah. They, so it could have been the Sontarans. Before. Yeah. So, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, that seems. It seems. I. I. I can't. I. I. To me, those are consistent. If you. If you have sunlight on the surface, you shouldn't be able to see them, and you. That's, Which is not what I'm fine. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm absolutely not saying that. I'm saying if there were sunlight, then they would have to be transparent, and you would not see them. Well, that no, is absolutely true. What, what would, but they what are would, not transparent, would, no, and yet somehow no, 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 no. we still see sunlight. It's the sunlight that's to, the problem, not the sheet, not the ships. Yeah, but what has to be true is that the sunlight has to reach the surface of the planet. It doesn't have to be that the ships are transparent. That's not the only way that the sunlight could be getting there. But surely that's just headcanon, right? You're just you're just coming up with an excuse for something not, that they didn't bother I'm just, to. I'm starting talk about. with I'm starting with what's observable on screen. If we had observed that the the ships were blocking the light to the planet and there was still sunlight on the planet, that's a problem. But if we if we're observing that light is reaching the surface of the planet and you can't see the ships from the surface of the planet. That doesn't seem to me to be a problem. We do but see I, the know. ships blocking light to the planet. When they surround the planet, the sunlight is hitting them, and we can see them, which is the light reflecting off of them, not passing through them. And we cannot see the Earth below them. them. So we, we, we see it both ways. We see a planet completely enclosed in something that you can't see through, and we see inside the planet where they don't notice that their planet has been surrounded by a shield. It's just, it's probably a bonus episode um, that we're going to, we're going to just cut this out and put this in as the bonus episode. What the heck with that shield? But anyway, <laughs> let's see. Is there any other things I just want to hit? Because I know we're running long, but, and who knows? Joseph Williamson. Okay. Never heard of the Williamson tunnels? Turns out they're real. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. That's that's just a thing. I, I'd like to go see that in addition to the under Seattle 
thing from the Night Stalker now. That's on my list of places that I have to go underground. Well, maybe uh, they're connected. See. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we could have a British version of the Night Stalker and it could be down in those tunnels. I bet their website is just hit chock-a-block now after this, uh, after this Doctor Who. Uh, assuming people knew it was real to begin with and know to look it up online. I don't think any Americans did. There's probably one somewhere, but... Um, well, Vinder, I mean, well, he came in handy once in a while, but all right, whatever. Bell and, Bell and Vinder were really good. I liked, I liked, I liked both their characters, and they were well used within the story. And it was a simple arc that was in, introduced as the, you know, here's the, here's the problem. Well, Vinder was a little bit more complicated. We didn't get his backstory until episode three, but here's the problem: they have been separated and they need to get back together. And the story is they travel to, to find each other, and the resolution is they find each other. Yeah, it's kind of simple. But that, to me, was much more satisfying than a lot of the other character arcs in this. I do, I do, all right, I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, but from the standpoint of the six hours that they had to tell the story of the Flux, I feel like we suffered because we had arcs like this thrown in there that didn't really have much to do with it. It was, I, you know, I, so I we think, ended, I we ended they... with a lot of the doctor talking about this and talking and talking and talking and the swarm and as you're talking and talking and talking and explaining his stuff that they should have been showing us in some way. And they didn't have time to do that because they, I'll no, use I, the no, word I they think... wasted it on Bell and Vinder. I, I, I think, I, I'm inclined to agree with your point that they should have shown us more than they told us. There was a lot of exposition in this that was probably as a result of them putting more in than was needed for six hours of television. Uh, but for me, the Bell and Vinda storyline was a nice example of how they were actually using uh, a story arc within the episode to actually show us stuff and to, to kind of build build the universe i was going to say world building it's universe building that they do through for example like one of my absolute favorite uh scenes in the whole um storyline was the was the the sermon on the mount bits the mm -hmm. as, as you're getting recruits for for passenger or whatever and what what the vinder and bell storyline allowed you to do was to provide witnesses to those scenes so that you had a kind of purpose to to seeing these little vignettes, these little elements of the universe and, and what the flux was doing to it. So to me, it should have been more of that kind of stuff, not less. But, it, but in the same vein, they used, uh, they used in episode two, the whole, well, and three, uh, we can just bounce Yaz and Dan all over the place because timey-wimey. And so they could have witnessed those. Our characters could have witnessed those things. Our, our characters could have had, uh, could have had those Bell revelations instead of in this. Well, kind of, but I mean, the 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 core. Again, their their quest was not only was their quest unnecessary to the unraveling of flex. Yes, we got to see the Sermon on the Mount, which is the only bit of it that that really had a lot of anything about what the flux was doing to the universe and we had the you know she goes he follows she gets taken away just before he gets there just a lot of excess that didn't really drive anything unless you just were invested in watching vinder and bell on screen and and i'm not um was. i mean i didn't dislike did. them i didn't dislike them but you know they were not advancing much of the story and you know the whole all the all the stuff we saw with williamson most of it was completely nonsensical and it, it well that wasn't connected um, to bell and binder no it wasn't i'm just picking another completely random stray thread of nonsense that they're wasting uh, okay well no okay right. well i, I would, I would treat right. again because chuck some of that out and put it into the actual telling us of the story of the flux and and what's well, going no, on, I or, or I, I don't know, coming up with a better ending for Swarm and Azure, or explaining to us why Azure was was trapped in a body of a woman in was it Iceland, Greenland? I, I don't somewhere? see the connection between 
the Balanvinda story and the Williamson story because I'm not making me, a connection between them. There was no connection between them other than they were both kind of unnecessary. Yeah, but what no, what what I'm saying is I think Balanvinda's the the story there was a as I say a, a kind of a satisfying complete story that was told in that was that was structured in a way that gave you the introduction and the and the resolution and Williamson's wasn't so yeah. I, I'm I'm really not seeing that parallel. It felt to me like when you get introduced to Williamson in that first episode, there's a kind of fairly random scene of him just arguing with the guy Stonehouse about why he's building his tunnels. We don't get any we don't get any of the kind of significance of the tunnels or any any kind of deeper background to that. It's very, very just random. And then in the in the conclusion to Williamson's story, it's basically just the doctor saying, Oh, we've got to keep you we've got to keep you safe <laughs> because you're you're important yeah. to history, which is pretty lame for a start. But then it's what's worse about it is he just does it. And what on earth is his motivation for doing that at that point? It's just getting him out of the story. So yep. although I liked the concept of these tunnels and it 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 was you know, it was a pretty cool idea and a and a kind of cool visual. And I liked Williamson's performance. I thought the actor did a great job, you know, kind of wandering around and, and spouting this stuff. But the actual execution of the character arc within this was at the polar opposite end, for me at any rate, from the Bell and Vinda storyline in terms of of being coherent. I I I definitely will say the Bell and Vinder story was a bit was more coherent i'm just saying that neither of them advanced the overall story much and i could see the bell and vinder story being a, the dr light episode for the season if this had been a, a a regular season of episodes of doctor who and maybe that's where the germ of that idea came from but it was i think the doctor light was was, was wasted uh, material here dan and dan and yaz and jericho traveled for that too yeah i think there was a lot of yeah there's a lot of Dr. Light in this. You know, The J- Williamson is kind of fulfilling the same kind of role as Mary Seacole. Her story was a little more satisfying, but equally it didn't really. I thought I thought her story was satisfying, but it was it was too short. You know, there was at the end of it. You I think we did say in our little yeah. look at it that, you, you know, you could, see you could leave the story there, but I want to see her back. And it, we did leave the story there and it did have a conclusion of of sorts. But equally, when we talked about Claire at the end of Village of the Angels, I said, well, I want to see her back because I felt like her story wasn't concluded. So it did feel much more important that she came back in the final episode. Yeah. But, you know, I, again, the, 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 the Angel story, the absolute hands down best episode of the six um, from terms of sitting and Not watching gonna it. Argue. Uh, you know, in terms of sitting down and watching an hour of television, going, okay, well, that was that was a tense hour of television that had me grip. Are you with that? That too was, you know, in the end, inconsequential. That that entire story could have been told when the angel captured the doctor at the beginning of the episode, transport, and we're done. And that's it's out. And they could have spent that time also working on fleshing out the flux storyline a bit, um, but. You know, here's the thing about fleshing out the flux storyline. It's not very good. <laughs> well, right. I mean, it's not very good. To be, I don't, th- this storyline. Maybe it could have been good. better. Could, could have could have had less time spent on it, so they could spend more time on that storyline that wasn't very good. I, and I, I kind of, well, I'm kind of sympathetic to the idea. That I don't. There were there were storylines in this that I liked better than others, and in some cases, I felt yeah, they should have got more time. Like I could have had a lot more Swarm and Azure, but I didn't necessarily need as much Suntaran. Lamest, uh, lamest villain end ever in Doctor Who? Swarm and For Azure? Who? It certainly, it certainly did not, yeah, it did not, it did not live up to the, the kind of jeopardy that they brought early on. I mean, when we, when you're first introduced to, to Swarm in that prison and the, yeah, the way he kind of absorbs people and everything. And, the fact that he kills Texio and that that kind of adds a level, if indeed he has, that adds a level of jeopardy. I I wouldn't say I wouldn't 
right off the whole ending, but the bit where the Welsh government built, and I'm normally so wrapped up in Doctor Who, I don't notice locations, but the Welsh government building just doesn't feel like a temple to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. And it's just it didn't even look like the Temple of Atropos that we saw earlier in the series. Exactly. It looks like the Welsh government building. And yeah, the time just sort of waved a hand at them and they disappeared. But the reason I would say don't write the episode off is because I think that as your speech to the doctor at Division earlier in the episode, um, the whole, you know, why is it what you fight for? um, Why is that better than what we will bring? And the doctor's sort of not really having a good answer there because otherwise, why are we here? That, I mean, I just thought, I I thought the actress, um, Roshenda Sandal playing as was just phenomenal. And, and, and the kind of prosthetics and everything, just everything about her was just, it was, it was absolutely superb. So I, I, I thought that particular scene was one of the kind of best doctor villain showdowns that we have had in Doctor Who. But I mean, it went downhill to, after that. To be fair to that question, um, why is what you stand for? I mean, that's that's the refrain of villains throughout all throughout all drama. Um, but done, but done with such genuineness and such curiosity. It's you I, know, I, it's it's partly in the writing, it's partly in the delivery. I guess. Uh, let me ask the question because I again not having certainly never going back to episode three uh, again. <laughs> You know, even when it comes out on Blu-ray, it's probably just not going to script the whole thing. I'll just own it. Your synopsis. I'll, I'll I'll own it, but I'll. In episode one, Swarm is played by a different actor. Yeah. He then transforms by absorbing, and they do, which I assume is some sort of subtle or less than subtle uh, parallel with regeneration. Well, I don't know because it involves absorbing another creature's life force, and I yeah. When I saw that, again, it's one of the problems, I think, with the first episode, was I assumed this was the monster we were seeing. This was the concept that Swarm would absorb all the people that he came across. And each time he absorbed someone, it would add a kind of a difference to his his character, his, you know, his whole who, how he looks, how he acts, how he sounds. Because it happened the first time, why didn't it happen again? What actor played Swarm? In episode two, in the flashbacks, you mean in episode was three, three? Sorry, when they uh, flashback to Atropos and the capture of them, was it the the actor that was in prison, or was it the yeah, actor that yeah. after it was? Okay, yeah. I couldn't tell. I wouldn't have known they were different actors. Oh, I thought I thought that was I thought that was ultimately. So to to answer the question I had about episode one, about you know why does it why does he change then but never again? I think probably if I'm being slightly cynical, the answer is for production reasons in episode three, it really, really helps you understand what's going on, that they are, that he looks completely different in the flashbacks and sounds completely different in the flashbacks. Does he look different? Yes. See, I don't think much of the prosthetics and the makeup. Oh, I love they're just They're just crystals stuck on somebody's head, painted blue or whatever color but they, they are. But they also, all of the, they're, they're very flexible and very expressive. I mean, I think generally the prosthetics throughout the season were of a high standard because there are some Taran episodes where oh yeah, they just don't register at all. And in this, you know, you're getting a lot around the eyes and the the kind of the way you know just the movements of the the mouth when they're looking a bit. I mean, even the stupid chocolate scene, you get a Santaran looking embarrassed, and there are costumes where you could not have done that. Oh, I agree. The Santaran costumes are much better than they used to be. Well, I thought there was that kind of mobility in the in the Ravagers makeup as well. Or even frankly, more so. I didn't. I didn't think the Ravagers were were wearing much in the way of prosthetics. Uh, you know, stick some crystals on there, bald head cap, uh, nose prosthetic, paint them blue. They were blue, right? Bluish. Azure was blue. Azure was azure. <laughs> yeah. What what color was? Swarm was sort of brown. Was he brown? Okay. Tim Shaw? Or purple? He definitely had some teeth-like protuberances. They weren't teeth. They were more crystalline. They were, I know. I know it wasn't. I it's did just, get the I, Tim, Tim Shaw vibe. Yeah. I mean, I did like, wonder wow, if he was Tim Shaw at the beginning, and I also wondered if he was the master, but I'm glad to say. And, and the Grand Serpent. Small. And the Grand Serpent. Why wasn't he the master? 
that would have kind of made more sense. But at the end, it doesn't really matter because he's been placed on a six by six asteroid in space with no air. So uh, dead, right? Well, obviously not dead or he would actually have been dead. I mean, I think we may get him back. I really, really, I mean, Craig Parkinson's a wonderful villain in the early series of Line of Duty. So he's he's quite recognisable for a British audience. He was underused in this. Yes. I, I, I'm glad the Grand Serpent was a distinct, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool thing that whatever she called it, the die binary. Yeah. Symbiotic thingy thingy. But yeah, just killing people with your own personal snake. Very, very cool. But I didn't understand what his motivation was. We get that he is this former. Oh, he's going to, he's going to wipe out the Santarans. How did he get deposed and what is his plan now? I don't. Yeah, all, you know, all, all completely underdeveloped. Yeah, all the way through the unit storyline, you get what his short-term goal is and you see what he's doing. And that feels effective to me, you know. He's, and did, he's, didn't, he's he order, didn't he order the missiles launched? Yeah. What happened I to think. that? I don't know. It sounded like he ordered their launch. And we never saw anything more about it. We never saw planet Earth wiped out bits of it. I mean, it just it's well. It's but I mean, it's presumably my... how the Sontarans got through the invasion. But yeah, I mean, you're right. There's no. I don't recognize the actor who played the Grand Serpent, and I, I you know, I, I did joke earlier that he should have been the master, and I kind of actually meant that is that is the first actor they've had in a long time on Doctor Who. That when I looked at that guy, I said, I hope that's the master. He actually, that's you're the master. Right. Yeah. That's the master. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No, you're up. He doesn't right. need I to be jumping up it. and down and going, woohoo, woohoo, I'm crazy master. That guy was the master. I, uh, yeah. And I, I thought the, the weakest point in his performance was when he got all flustered because the doctor rescued herself. Most of the time, he is just incredibly sinister and understated but that emphasizes his power and the master's all about power so yeah he, he's I, he's I roger Delgado of without the goatee but yeah yeah no you're absolutely right he is one of the most master actors we've had yeah oh you've made me sad now that's that is a way i mean <laughs> that's, the grand serpent could be a great character if, if you know with a bit bit more building up but it's yeah the master would be even better Whew, yeah yeah he was he was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really was disappointed about that. I, I thought, you know, I found it hard to believe that the master didn't show up in this. Well, Obviously, the forces of darkness and their master are, and yeah, forecast pretty... to um, turn up at the end of the doctor's. What did you say? Nothing lasts forever. No regeneration. No life. Yeah. So maybe they're actually just going to blow this up. The whole universe is going to collapse and they're going to just let Russell T. Davies start all over again. <laughs> yeah, get out of that, Russell. Now, yeah. I, 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 I think what is happening there is I find it quite uh, regrettable. It's the whole, your, you know, your song is over slash trends and yeah. We must create a sense of foreboding to build up to yeah. the Doctor's regeneration. No. No, thank you. Just we don't need that. Have the doctor just charge into something in a crazy, big-hearted way, save someone else, and die as a consequence, and then regenerate, please. I think the only time that I thought that was done, kind of okay, kind of, is Legopolis. Yeah, the moment and... was prepared for, but this is uh, this is the moment being over prepared for, in my view. Right, and and you you definitely got this kind of death vibe. In Legopolis. I mean, the other thing is, seven years of Tom Baker, you kind of felt like he earned it. Yeah. And it it needed Jody and like, yeah, I mean, none of them, or whatever it is, none of them have done that long enough. We're all used to the fact. I mean, the other one, I guess, would be Chris Eccleston because it's about hand holding, isn't it? With Tom Baker, how many of the fans would there have been left after seven years who'd been watching it in the John Pertwee years? It would have become a minority, I imagine. And so, you need to handhold them through to the next doctor. Whereas 
on the kind of three-year cycle, it's like, well, yeah, sure, there'll be some new fans who have joined since the last regeneration. But most people know you get a new doctor from time to time. It's no yeah. big deal. Yeah. Uh, well, as long as somebody knocks four times. Is it four times? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just really a shame. I just really am sadly disappointed in in the flux. I'm I'm disappointed I'm, in the ending. I'm, I'm disappointed. Surprised. And you're surprised I'm disappointed? Uh <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought well, I don't know. I mean I thought I thought you I don't know I don't know how much you really expected this last episode to rescue the whole thing for you because I don't think you'd enjoyed the rest of it. Whereas for me, I was like, yeah, I'm having a really good time with the the episode so far. Everything is to play for now and then I could have and done the thing something is, better. They have they have ruined in a way they have ruined Village of the Angels, the single best thing they did in Jodie Whittaker's time, because well, it does not yeah. stand alone. It, it, I think it, it, that, it can... I think there we probably differ. I mean, as you said earlier, you you kind of it lives or dies by what the last episode is like. Well, for me, if I'm enjoying watching the performances, I'm enjoying the humor, I'm enjoying listening to the dialogue. I don't, you know, I don't have a time machine to go back and change my reactions to that. I don't, I don't put my reactions on hold until I see how it plays out before I decide whether I was enjoying it. I was enjoying it. And so, you know, genuinely, I, I was kind of saying, yep, yeah, you know, 50%, I'll give the mark after five episodes and just say, the, this, this was good. But it, in order for it to be 100%, I've got to have a good final episode. And it wasn't an awful final episode but it didn't really it didn't really crown it in the way i was hoping isn't this the isn't this the i mean i'm less spoiler averse <clears throat> than you are by by any stretch sure. of the imagination I'm, but isn't I this just I'm a manifestation of that isn't this just a manifestation because be. i can never watch the flux again without knowing where it's going so yes i can enjoy the ride along the way but i know it's going to crash into a building at the end and <laughs> and so i can Yes, I, I can. I can laugh. Uh, I was going to say I can laugh at the hermit, but I didn't laugh at the hermit. Um, you know, or I, I can go. Oh, there's an exciting moment, but there weren't any. Oh, there's some exciting moments, except in Village of the Angels. But you know, you can have a story that leads you along the way, but if the ending just sours you so badly, it isn't retroactively changing my enjoyment of the show, but it has prospectively changed my enjoyment of the yeah, show change, changes your future enjoyment of the pre past episode right right so it, yeah and i get that's that. what it's I get that. done yeah for for me for me that effect is most strong if you have a final episode that i don't know kills off a character that you love or kind of is distasteful or something in some way whereas this episode was a bit of a mess a bit disappointing and I think I probably, I mean, I don't know, but I think when I rewatch, I will probably still manage to enjoy the other episodes just as much as I did the first time round. And I'll probably I, think, I, mm, episode six. Mm. I feel a lot of, of the promises that were supposed to be made, Chekhov's promises, if you will, <laughs> didn't happen. And, and you know, I I see myself absolutely looking at things that could just be inconsequential details and going he he can't he can't leave that undone he can't leave die with with the story that we just got and which is an exact same thing as he can't leave the universe 99% destroyed it it all just feels like the same thing to me it feels like promises that are being unkept from the writer it, to me that that is, in a way, the thing we're going to have to put a pin in, and and it'll be the not the final episode of the flux that decides what you know. It doesn't live or die on that. It's now going to have to live or die on whether these things actually do get resolved in the but next. That was episodes. kind of the promise of the flux. This is a one-story, six-episode uh, thing, and and so you. But I'm you not sure it has this. Ever. I think we may we may have inferred more than was actually explicit in that. I don't that, think so. That but... was kind of my point at the beginning about the 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 kind of way in which this structure is reflecting what is commonplace in other shows and 
we we come into it with our certain expectations around this is the way Doctor Who stories are structured. And well, okay, well this one wasn't. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure that we'll probably have more to say about some of these. I, I don't I don't think I have any other I'm not even gonna go into the unit thing because I'm hoping that they do something and not I'm I'm I'll, I'll put this that. down as my prediction, okay. So the so you can you can laugh at me when this turns out to be wrong. I'm sure there is going to be a unit story in the next three. I'm, I, in fact, I'll go further. I'll say it's not going to be the, Christ, the New Year one. It's not going to be the last one. It's going to be the one in between. How about that? Mm, okay, fair enough. Do you, do you at least feel that Kate Stewart was tragically underused in any way, shape, or form in this? Um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I I'm always going to say that because I love Kate Stewart and that I may not have put it at the top of my list of characters with problems because Kate Stewart is already, like I was saying, you know, Kate and the Doctor and Yaz fall into one camp because she's already a character we know and we don't necessarily need to get all that established. I did feel that, in a way, she was given a storyline that was very problematically difficult to realise in the in, within the COVID restrictions of this story because being the leader... <laughs> of earth resistance but never talking to anyone else in earth resistance is a pretty hard thing to pull off convincingly yeah just hiding skulking in a tunnel yeah mm. yeah i think i i think they they that should have been reflected in the plot and you you know she should never have been given that title you can play another role where you actually are working for the survival of the planet without it necessarily having to be leader of earth resistance army did we ever find out why she was in the tunnel no i don't think so is it because that artron energy detector she had <laughs> led her there <laughs> well that 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 was a strange thing because the artron energy detector was obviously a shortcut well it's see to me it was obviously a shortcut to her coming across the set of the doctor's friends and getting from these are strangers who I must be suspicious of, to these are allies who I can work together with. And you think, well, you've got to have some way that Kate gets convinced because she's obviously smart enough to be naturally suspicious. And the doctor isn't there to tell her everything's okay. And then literally a second later, the doctor is there and she could have just explained it instead. Yep. So we didn't need that app. Uh, (laughs) It's just kind of weird. All right. Um, Any final thoughts on i guess i guess the the kind of yeah the final thing is i don't know what i think about the sontarans being i mean we talked about it in episode two the sontarans being slightly cleverer than we expect in the sense of conducting a multi-temporal invasion of earth and now they are pulling one over on the daleks and the cybermen there's no obvious reason why the daleks and the cybermen agree to this crazy truce no but at the same time, I kind of they're they're fulfilling the role of you need some monster to invade Earth and they're gonna look in their toy box and go, Well, could we have the Daleks or could we have the Cyber? Oh, we haven't played with the Sontarans for a while. And there is a there is a logic in there that is like they are looking for the end point of where the flux will be so that they can so that they can be triumphant at the point that they get wiped out. And that's a really nice idea that works specifically for Sontarans. Like they're not motivated by survival in the way Daleks are. They're motivated by winning. So mm. that was really good. Except the doctor then has a flipping great speech explaining that's not what they're doing. And they're actually they're they're trapping all the Cybermen and Daleks in so that they can use the mass of the Cybermen and Dalek armies to s- slow down the flux and survive. And this really, to me, had shades of Kill the Moon. Of... <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the relative well, mass of an army and a planet, or several planets. Uh, yeah, well, that one, and, and you know, I still think the sunlight reaching the Earth is, uh, is also in the Kill the Moon society. But, uh, um, but uh, so the, the first invasion, the Halloween invasion, was that a different plan? Then the December, yeah, the one that they invaded on Halloween, though. I I don't know if that's the apocalypse, but... The War of the Sontarans. The War of the Sontarans, yes. They invaded Earth on Halloween. 
to do their temporal incursion thing. Yes. Okay. Was and, that and... part of the same plan with the Grand Serpent that happened in November 30th? Or is that a, a completely different redefined strategy that now well, no assume... longer requires temporal incursions? Oh, see, see my point? Yeah, I don't know. Th- those, should have, those should have been a I, year I, I think apart. I... <laughs> I think I think they're I think they're different. I think I think the thing is, if the first one had worked, they wouldn't have done the second one. Okay, but this, would this... Earth still have been destroyed? Yeah, eventually. I'm not sure. I'm what the bit I'm not sure about is what what role the Grand Serpent would have played if the first one had succeeded, because he didn't appear to be involved in that at all. Right. Yeah. I, uh, okay. Well, <sighs> believe it or not, we'll be back here just after New Year's 2022 talking about eve of the daleks because it's got to be a dalek story at uh, new oh, year that's that's the law except for spyfall part one but i don't think that really counts as a special because it was part of a series so yeah simon thank you for joining me this it's interesting a pleasure, as always <laughs> well <laughs> listeners and listeners tell us what you think about doctor who the flux and i hope you will join us all again next time on fusion patrol we hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. <laughs>